All right. Hi, everyone. This is John Mandrola from the Sensible Medicine Podcast. This is episode number two. I'm going to be the moderator of this. We're going to talk about medical school rankings. Um, I'm with my three friends, Vinay Prasad, Adam Sifu, Dr. Z-Dog, and um, I'm the moderator and the questioner because I'm the oldest and most likely (laughs) to need a doctor, and because I was waitlisted at the lowest ranked medical school of the whole crew, University of Connecticut. So let's kick it off by by asking um, somebody to describe what actually is going on with this medical school um, uh, uh, leaving the these rankings. I guess I can jump in, give you the summary. So I want to start a little bit back in time. To me, I think this all got started with NYU. Now, maybe about seven or eight years ago, New York University, NYU, decided that they had a benefactor, a donor, who was going to give them a large amount of money, and they were going to take that money, and they were going to make medical school essentially tuition-free. And by doing it, making it tuition-free, they were going to be able to recruit the best and the brightest. So they're going to be able to recruit people with, you know, 42 MCATs and above. And they also said the reason they were doing it was to make more doctors go into primary care. Because the barrier to primary care, of course, was the large amount of debt, not the massive uh, net expected earnings from other specialties. It was the debt. So that was their stated reason. And I think... That led to them to have an unprecedented rise in the rankings. They were number two as of, you know, last week. And then what happened last week, starting with Harvard Medical School, and then it just sort of snowballed down through maybe at least 10 of the top 20 medical schools, according to the U.S. News & World Ranking, have decided that they will no longer give their information to the U.S. News & World Ranking. They won't give them information about their class demographics so that they essentially cannot be ranked by the current ranking. So Adam, Adam uh, had a great post on sensible medicine today, and I'll so I'll go next to you, Adam. I mean, why, why, why are they pulling out? What's going on? Yeah, I mean, I I think really everybody at all these medical schools has hated these rankings, right? <laughs> um, probably even the people at Harvard who lead the list because they recognize that they're sort of absurd, right? There's a difference between probably the top 50 medical schools and the next 50 medical schools. Um, but trying to differentiate, you know, medical school number one from medical number school number three is like trying to differentiate, differentiate the outcomes from a systolic blood pressure of 126 to 120, right? It's completely meaningless. Um, and I do agree with Vinay is that, the jump in NYU's spot just based on, you know, a, a really good move, right? It is wonderful <laughs> to be able to allow students to come to medical school without tuition. But that sort of showed the absurdity of the numbers. Um, and I, you know, often give Harvard a hard time, but I'm impressed by this move. I think it really opened the door. And I think right now NYU is sort of looking bad because they are one of the schools who has stuck in with um, saying that they're going to stick with the rankings because they're probably worried about giving up their number two slot. <laughs> they paid a lot of money for that number two spot. <laughs> so, so, so Z-Dog, um, uh, Adam wrote that these rankings are absurd. I mean, absurd is a strong is a strong word. I mean, wh- what do you say? Yeah, this is so tough because you know there are hierarchies of 
everything in the world. And and people actually, people who deny their hierarchies are installing a hierarchy of their own, which is that there are no hierarchies. Uh, so the truth is there are really great medical schools. And then there are some meh experiences where maybe the teachers aren't as good or the rotations aren't as well structured, or maybe the curricula isn't quite as tuned up. But you can come out of one of those schools and be an amazing doctor. Uh, and that goes for MD schools. It goes for all for the uh, osteopathic schools. This is all true. It's like kind of good person comes in, good person technically can come out if you don't totally break them. So I think it's interesting that between the top schools, it's very difficult to distinguish. Like, like Adam was saying, like, how can you tell like a UCSF versus Stanford? They're, they're 30 miles away from each other, the, but the curricula are very different. The feel of it's very different. The kind of students they take are very different. Um, I remember I was waitlisted at Stanford, but got into UCSF, but UCSF's ranking was at that time much higher than Stanford's. And the guy at Stanford literally sat there and told me, he goes, I don't think you're a Stanford person. Uh, you, you'll you be better, happier at UCSF. And I'm like, but I'm not going to get into UCSF. You know, it was like this kind of feeling. <laughs> so so it, 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 it's 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 more this more qualitative kind of thing. So maybe there are, you know, the top tier schools of like however many and the mid tier schools and then everything else. I don't know. But um, I think abolishing it, I don't I, I, th I see the absurdity of the current system. I don't know that a, 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 a no ranking at all isn't in itself a little absurd. So so let me ask you this. We we we've talked about that, but we haven't really I, I still don't have a good idea in my mind why uh, why this what, what what stimulated Harvard to just say we're done with this and then all the other schools to follow suit. I mean, what's what's at the heart of this? Let's clarify one thing. Yeah, yeah. This isn't going to end the rankings, right? <clears throat> so as Zubin said, everybody wants rankings, right? We rely on this. And I am far from being against rankings. I mean, I am I am probably the most committed to, you know, quantitative measures of students when they're applying to medical school, when they're applying to residency. I actually believe there's something very important about MCAT scores and SATs and, and you know, step scores. What a dinosaur to me, believe such things. <laughs> I was going to say, that puts me way, way, way out of what's sort of, you know, popular these days. Um, what this means, though, is that the I think the medical schools are saying, look, we don't want to be party to this process. At least that's how they want to appear. I am sure U.S. News & World Report will continue to... Um, put out these rankings. They sell a lot of uh, magazines or get a lot of clicks because of this. The information that they use to do these rankings by everybody's report is completely public information. So they'll just have to work a little bit and be actual journalists rather than just compilers of data, which is given to them by medical schools. So I don't think we're done with rankings. But I think, you know, you make a good point, which is that one the demand exists. We rank everything's from movies to books and, and, you know, kids going into medical school, they want some ranking. And if there's a demand for it, there'll be a ranking. And if not, you know, this algorithm, they can come up with some algorithm, as you say, publicly available information, we can come up with the ranking. But to John's point, and I actually don't have a good sense of why this moment, what is it about this week, this year? I know one thing that the, the, the 10th university that dropped the rankings, they had about, uh, all the courage of a uh, of a true of a true administrator. <laughs> I love how they put out there. You know, no offense to UC, 
my alma mater, but y'all not the first one to drop out. And you had this very sort of lofty rhetoric uh, statement as why the University of Chicago is dropping out. So I understand why the domino effect, because all these people were waiting for once Harvard and Penn lets it go, then, you know, we can all let it go. But I guess I don't understand why this moment. I've heard some cynical explanations, which I'll offer in a minute, but I'm curious if anyone has any non-cynical explanations. I'm happy to offer a non-cynical, you know, explanation. I mean, I I think, and we've all been on the sort of internal discussions about this, and we know that everybody thinks these are ridiculous. Um, We know that people feel bad that they're forced to play the game and actually make changes in admissions and reporting to rank higher. Um, And it's wonderful that finally people have you know, gotten the courage to sort of say, look, we're done with this. And we are hearing it in other places, right? I mean, this started with law schools before medical schools. Um, and I think disrespecting, you know, the University of Chicago, Vinay, is, is, is absurd. You know, you're, you're trying to get clicks. Um, because look, all these schools are going to do it. And I think we'll be left with some schools who are sticking with it, but it's going to be the small minority by the end of, you know, the next couple of months. We were the 10th one to do it, and then your statement said, because it doesn't comport with our mission and ideals. <laughs> but it comported with the mission last week, and then the last thing I'll offer you, Adam, is I don't see anyone dropping out of the hospital rankings. Let's, we're going to talk about that. What, you're not dropping out of the hospital rankings. You're still number one in Illinois, but unranked medical school. We can talk about that. Is there a hypocrisy? So, and- so can can I yes. can I ask a question? So imagine I'm sitting on a fellowship acceptance committee or uh, a residency acceptance committee, and I'm trying to figure out now how am I going to figure out whether these two roughly equivalent students from different schools, how do I kind of rank their schools if I don't have that information? Am I using experience with that school? Am I using other <laughs> intangibles? Because at many of these schools now are pass fail. They've gotten rid of the honors or the grades. And so how do you, how can you even tell within a school how good a, a student is? And this is a, a challenge when you're screening hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of applications. I'm curious what you guys think. Well, I think so. I think the rankings are unimportant in that. Okay, Um, I think it is incredibly difficult these days and getting harder for residencies to choose their students. Um, But it's it's not because oh my god, is this a number ten school or a number twelve school? Right. The difficulty is the move to pass fail. Um, the, you know, the getting rid of step one, which was a terrible way to choose students anyway, um, but it's just one fewer quantitative, reliable, you know, measure to compare students across schools. I think what needs to happen there is that we really need to do a better job and we need to pay people to interview and select students going from medical school to residency. You know, anybody is, you know, applying into the world of tech and has to go through multiple days of interview and has to go through coding tests, you know, and that's for a job at Meta, right? We are interviewing people who are going to be taking care of human beings. And most of our interviews are, oh, an hour. We see if the person can, you know, sit up straight and keep a suit (laughs) on. And that's a ridiculous way to assess people. So we should be looking hard at the curriculum. We should be looking hard at, you know, letters of recommendation, figure out a way to make letters of recommendation mean something, and then actually interview the students and see how they do in a role that's similar to what we're going to expect of them as residents. 
I, I love it. And now they're doing so many of these interviews virtually too, which it takes even one step more of abstraction. You don't have to wear the and pants of the you... suit. You can just wear the top. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. If you can't pull off a pants suit, you yeah. don't deserve to be a doctor, right? <laughs> oh, the, and the last thing, Adam, yeah. that you, you pointed out, which I think is important, like the difference between a 10 and a 12 school, that doesn't make a difference. But a difference between a 10 and a 100 school, I think is looked at when people are looking at residencies in some of the top institutions. So that is an interesting thing that at least I see in those admissions processes. I just have one thing right. to add and to And I think that's oh, fine. And I think we'll maintain that, right? We're, we're going to know um, by the reputation, by students we've gotten in the past, by looks at what those schools are like, what they offer, who's going to those schools. Oh. It's very easy to differentiate, um, you know, a a high, a high ranked competitive school with a not so competitive school. And that's what's important. There's no but, residency but, ranking per se, but the, con, the the unofficial ranking is the Brigham, UCSF, MGH, you know, et cetera, et cetera. The Deaconess is, is somewhere on that list. Don't, don't worry, Adam, it's, it's on. No. Um, but the other thing <laughs> I wanted to ask was, um, or to mention on this point is that it, it's turned into a publication racket. I mean, I have the students, the only way to differentiate a student is how many pubs they have in PubMed. And I got more students wanting to publish 20 papers in, in, as a student to be competitive for ortho, et cetera, than ever before. And that to me is, is the worst possible outcome because as bad as step one is, and I hate it, I thought the content was irrelevant. And as bad as clerkship grades can be, uh, the only thing worse is judging people by how many low quality papers they put in PubMed. I mean, that's really the rock bottom way. But, you know, I think that's sadly what we're settling into. John, let me um, yeah. let me ask the question. We what are we really training people for? Right. So are we training people to take care of patients and be doctors or are we training people to be, you know, leaders in administration or academic leaders. And I think it makes a huge difference because to me, to me, um, to me, the difference between a, a number 10 medical school and a number 100 medical school, if you're training someone to be a doctor and take care of people, maybe it's not so significant. If you're training people to do trials and, and publish, maybe, maybe so, maybe not. But what do you think the role of the, of the, the, the goal of the medical school uh, plays in this? You want to take that, Adam? I, I, yeah. I think that's a nice that's a nice point, and it's something which I think is lost in the rankings, because as a student, and it's difficult. The students are young; they often don't really know what's ahead for them. Is they should choose their school kind of like people should choose colleges, right? It's where I'm going. Where can I go that I'm going to be comfortable, that I'm going to thrive, and that's going to sort of help me meet what my career goals are. Um, and that's probably not, oh, one instead of 10. You know, it's it's where the school is. It's, it's what they thrive in as far as specialty, as far as their graduates are. Um, and your schools that meet that need may be, you know, in today's ranking, you know, two, 18, 25, and 37, right? Um, and maybe my hope is, and this is probably overly optimistic, is that when these, you know, absurd rankings go away, that people can be a little bit more intelligent about saying, okay, I know what I want, you know, I know who I am, and I can choose any school in the top 50, um, you know, that might meet that. And I guess to add to that, I think, um, you know, it, they do call it the U.S. News and World Report research 
medical school rankings. They also have a primary care medical school ranking, which is dif- different. So I think they've long recognized that it has nothing to do with being a good doctor, to your point, John. And I think the best doctors, you know, to, many, to the point Adam was making as well, you, know, you can go to any medical school, really, and they're the top you know, five doctors there are going to be as good as, as the top doctors at uh, Harvard Medical School. I do think, though, that there is probably a bell distribution, and just like an individual shouldn't be judged solely based on the school they go to, probably on average, you know, the kids that go to the top 10 medical schools versus the, the bottom 10 medical schools, you know, on average there, I think we should be able to say it. There is, the mean is a slightly different, although the, the, the tail of distribution is probably comparable. Um, but in terms of these rankings, they do anchor people in. I mean, I've known many students who they got into WashU St. Louis number two or Duke number six, and they said, well, better to go to number two than number six. That's idiotic because those are apples and, you know, they're six of one, half dozen of the other. Um, they both are uh, places you don't want to go to. No, I just get they're both They're both fine institutions you'd be happy <laughs> to go to. Um, but, you know, they're both fi- And I think Adam's right that that'll take away that as a bias, and you'll probably choose more wisely based on, where do your parents live? Where do your friends live? You know, where do you want to see yourself in 10 years? Or what city do you want to check out in this moment in life? And I think, you know, that, that's a good thing. Can so I ask we, about the talk? hospital? I want to talk about the hospital rankings. Okay, go my, ahead. My question is, you know, why drop out of medical school rankings, but not hospital rankings? I think hospital rankings are, I mean, I'm, I'm willing to argue they're just as absurd. The idea that, MGH is better than the Brigham for your ear, uh, and Mayo is better for your brain than, uh, you know, whatever, Baylor. Uh, you know, I, I think it's, it's, it's a ridiculous thing. The way they judge the hospital rankings are also very arbitrary. Um, I have a cynical reason why they're dropping out of one, not the other, but I'm curious what you all think. I think they are the same. Uh, you know, it's it is easy to compare to say, look, uh, tertiary care hospitals that do, you know, 75 different things, um, right, are different from community hospitals that are excellent for treating community acquired pneumonia, cellulitis, you know, have your hernia repaired, right? There's no question. But comparing you know, two strong <clears throat> academic medical centers within a city or God, you know, across cities, it's impossible to do. Um, and it's a game. And maybe there are some things that as time goes on, we'll be able to compare and we can Im- compare, you know, infection rates or outcomes from, you know, a single surgery with patients who are as sick. But right now, I don't think we're even very good at doing that. I agree. It's uh, hopeless. Yeah. To say UCSF is better than Stanford at cancer and worse in cardiology is a nonsense statement. Z Dog, you've been to both. Which is the better hospital in the Bay Area? Where should I get my care? <laughs> well, well, I'll say I was in both at once because at one point it was UCSF Stanford Medicine. They had merged, thinking they could, you know, be financially superior, and it turned out to be a disaster because they were both <laughs> so disparate. And uh, but I mean, l- listen, it's imp- it's impossible to do that. Right. But w- the cynical reason I suspect Vinay yes. was going to uh, yes. point to is that this is how you acquire uh, uh, research grants and and patients uh, where the dollars flow is they're looking at the stuff and going, well, you know, I would go to MD Anderson because they're better for, you know, uh, you know, uh, 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 perineal cancer than, uh, you know, <laughs> Texas A&M or whatever. So so I suspect that's what it is. And it's a game. I, I don't know what it's really the validity of it or the or the, or the usefulness of it beyond that. 
Yeah, that, I mean, that's the cynical answer that I think is that it's Hopkins, Mayo. It's a huge draw, particularly in uh, uh, the uh, Saudi Arabia, uh, in the Middle East, you know, and, and some of the patients you're getting China, you're getting the wealthiest patients. And so places like Cleveland Clinic and like, what does it take to the, the whole medical school ranking crumbled when the best places said no more? Um, and it's, you know, it's in the process of crumbling, but the best hospitals have a huge financial incentive to be known of as whatever the best. And, you know, and, 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 and so I think the money talks and that's, that's they, my they, cynical view. I mean, and this is something that barely anyone talks about. They have whole wings funded by these Middle Eastern, uh, you know, uh, bill, billionaires. And so that, that is actually essential, uh, cash in, income for these institutions. That very few people talk about, uh, you know, we talk about VIP medicine and this and that. That is a different level of it, um, and it's it's far from the egalitarian ideals that I think we would hope to to strive for. And it's not even very American because the Americans would be like, "Well, give it to the rich Americans," but don't don't have like a a Saudi, you know, a, 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 you know, billionaire coming here and and taking our spot. I mean, don't you all think that that if you're looking for if a person is looking for the best quality. It's the it's the it's the doctors and and team that that they're looking for, not not the building that they go to. I mean, I remember I'm a cyclist, so I follow you know Lance Armstrong's story. He he could he was from Texas. He could have gone to MD Anderson, but he ended up coming to Indiana because of Larry Einhorn and Craig Nichols. And and you you pick the you pick the doctor. I've sat on our peer review committee for over 20 years, and it's it's really quality healthcare is about who takes care of you and, and, and what team, not what structure you're in. Don't you think? I totally agree with but you. Also, I would say, yeah, go on. I was just going to argue as a generalist that, yeah. listen, it's the small, small, small minority of patients who need heart transplant or yes, treatment for testicular cancer, right? The vast majority of patients are coming in for, you know, their health maintenance, which you, Dr. Mandrola, thinks is worthless because you don't believe in screening. <laughs> um, but, but also depends on, you know, how you're treated for your pneumonia, how you're treated for your SDI, how, you know, how a good uh, general internist, family practitioner, pediatrician cares for the vast majority of, of people who come to medical centers or doctors. I was just going to add the, the little bit of the flip side is you, you picked a good example because I think Craig Nichols and, and Einhorn were doing something at a time when fewer people did it. But the moment they published their initial results, I think if you had testicle cancer, you could probably get excellent care by anyone who read those papers because it's really kind of like following a, a recipe. But I was gonna argue that sometimes expertise is actually harmful. I mean, I, I keep saying, I mean, the expert, the expert in myeloma, literally, uh, pardon my French, they just make shit up. I mean, I just see them on threads <laughs> on Twitter and they say, how, do you, how would you take care of this 46 year old? And they're like, they made up the induction, they made up the maintenance, they made up the data for, everything is made up. And I'm like, we have randomized data. You're just deviating and you have the confidence to deviate because you're the expert, but you don't know if your deviations are right. Uh, um, yeah. By the way, this is why people should be listening to this podcast, because no other medical podcast are you going to hear that experts could be harmful. This is beautiful. Well, I think, and, and I guess I will, I will close by saying that I don't want to say that, the, I do believe that some doctors are better than others. But to Adam's point, what makes a really good doctor? I think they typically are, you know, certain amount of intelligence. They don't have to be the most brilliant person, but certain amount of intelligence, really good EQ, really good being able to read someone, um, patience you know, all the personality traits of temperament. 
um, pr- you know, prudence, uh, judgment, you know, as we talked about in our con- medical conservative piece, sort of those kind of personality characteristics about new technology, uh, being humble, knowing what you don't know. And I worry that expertise, sometimes they lose the humility. Um, and I think doing lab work has not, you know, the, who is the expert in like cancer? It's the lab scientists. They often are a terrible doctor. And, you know, the fellows are the ones who know the truth, that they don't know what the hell they're talking about, even though they're the molecular expert in that, in that field. So I, I don't mean to discount. I do think there are better the doctors than others. And to Adam's point, I think the way you elicit who they are is it takes a lot of work that we're not willing to pay for. Thoughtful interviews, watching people standing at their side while they take the history. No one will pay for this, um, but that's what it will really take. And, you know, you see it when you work with trainees all the time because I'm with the fellow and I watch them take history or talk to patients. And over the years, you get a sense there's some people who are really at a high level and some people who maybe need a little bit of help along the way. Yeah, and I think it's important to clarify. Oh, sorry. Just, just real quick, I, I think it's important to clarify that exactly what Vinay is saying. He's not saying don't trust expertise. He's saying certain experts are actually not using science <laughs> or right. even ability in a way that we would want them to. We're not saying go have like anti-vaxxers. Oh, don't trust any experts. They're all a bunch of liars. That's not what that's not what Vinay is saying. Because I consider myself an expert too. I saw it. We've got a few minutes left. But I, I want to really get uh, Adam's one of one of Adam's great points on his post was about the, the the craziness of the measurement. And I wanted to bring up what I think is one of the most important uh, laws in all of medicine. And this is Goodhart's law. Uh, Goodhart was an economist and he said that when a measure becomes a target, it ceases to be a good measure. And I, I absolutely love that because I'm just seeing all of these algorithms that we that we try and measure hospitals and medical schools and in quality care. I just just shred good, you know, good care. And I, I wondered if you all agreed and and know about Goodhart's law. Who started I did not know about it yeah. until you just mentioned it. And boy, it is terrific. And I it almost makes me think that every measure has a life expectancy, right? Because every measure eventually um, gets sort of people figure out how to use it, right? So you almost need to change your measures every ten years um, before people master them. I, I think I think Adam is pointing at basically the Heisenberg uncertainty principle that like when you measure something, you change it. You know, it's just, it's physics and medicine finally are unified in a grand unified theory. And I was just going to add that. One of the things we have to acknowledge about our measures is they're cheap. I mean, the people who created the measures, what percent of women in your clinic have had mammograms? What percent have had colons? What percent have A1C less than blah, blah, blah? Not only do they want to measure, they want something very cheap, okay? But Adam is talking about a measure as well. Because can you, can you, I mean, I've listened to him talk about this and I've, you know, I thought it was really brilliant. He said that if you really cared about medical education, he told me a long time ago, what you would do is you'd pay for faculty to go in with the resident and you sit there in the corner on a stool with a clipboard and you let them do their whole thing. And then at the end, you say, here's what you did right. Here's what you did wrong. And I bet if you got 20 faculty to do that with every resident and you average their like, just give them, say, give me a number one to 10. How do they do? And you av- I bet you'd find a lot of reliability in that number. Like different expert doctors will agree who's doing good, who's doing bad. That's also a measure. It's a measure that takes a lot of money to invest in. You can't scrape it from Epic. And those measures we have no interest in developing. And we're not pursuing. And the last thing I, w- I would say is I truly believe that these medic- – the, I mean the top 20 – to your point, John, the top 20 medical research schools 
I, I think like their, their 100th priority is training great physicians. Priorities one through 99 are building their empire, buying up satellite clinics, sucking NIH capital, getting donations, you know, and doing lab work that's sexy and maybe curing diseases. But like training good day to day doctors, that's like that's like you're lucky it's on the list. Um, and I think that that's why one of the things that's always been frustrating about the rankings. And so I, I'm also. Yeah, go on. And one thing on what Vinay said, that that approach is undefeatable by a chat GT, GTP. Like how would, <laughs> yeah. you can't defeat it. It's it's purely human. But that that's proof that it, the metric is cheap, is that chat GPT can pass step one. It's gotta be a stupid that, idea. That's right, that's right. <laughs> I, I want right. a little credit for intelligently using Goodhart's law without knowing about it. Because <laughs> when I designed a new metric in the Sensible Medicine post, the very last thing on the metric was that I think I thought that schools should be ranked by making students read, ending medical reversal, <laughs> and getting them subscriptions on sensible medicine. And I would love to see stu to see medical schools, you know, utilize that to try to rise in the rankings. That, think, that's my kind of Heisenberg uncertainty right there. <laughs> you got to wrap up, but I got to say, the I mean, the best thing that I thought from his post. I mean, I like all his metrics, but the one I really liked was, you know, he had this thing which was about you you take the average MCAT score when they enter, and then Adam's point was, and you compare it to their change on their USMLE. And I thought that that's really what people are missing, that so much of what makes a great school is they're recruiting the great talent, but what really makes a great school is whoever you were given, you made them great. You actually turned them into great doctors, and whoever you were given, you improved them more than the other person. And so shouldn't we be looking at the delta rather than you know the absolutes? I thought that was a great and, point. And they might want to look at mental health scores too. You know, Have you made them crazy? Yeah. <laughs> well, and then they'll give them a few more mental health days so that they can... <laughs> Feel better. All right. All right. This is great. We've gone about 30 minutes. Uh, this is a, a great conversation and a great ver uh, episode two of Sensible Medicine Podcast. So tune in next week. And last thing I say is give us feedback. If you like the topics, discussions, suggestions, um, you can find us on, you know, wherever podcasts are found. Rate us. If you see us on the iTunes store, rate us um, and go to Sensible Medicine, subscribe and let us know what you liked about this and what can be improved. We'll work on it.